Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. with each of the states to assess the damages and focus on federal support where it is needed most and how we can get there most rapidly. I also, and apparently it has just been announced, but I also approved the emergency declaration that was requested a couple of hours ago by Governor Bashir of Kentucky. That's going to accelerate federal emergency assistance for Kentucky right now when it's urgently needed. And I stand ready to do the same for the governors of the other states, and I've made it clear to them if they request emergency declarations. I've also requested that FEMA offer additional federal resources, including help with temporary housing, where homes have been wiped out or too badly damaged to live in. And I also asked FEMA director to let the states know what they may not be aware of what they may be entitled to, because they don't necessarily know all that's available from the federal end. We're going to continue to see, receive I personally am receiving regular updates, and my staff has continued to reach out to the mayors, the county officials, and other local leaders in these states affected by the tornadoes. And my heart goes out. I was told that earlier this morning that one of the, uh, uh, the equivalent of a county executive, one of the folks in Kentucky, uh, was lost in this uh, tornado. I want folks in all these states to know we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this together, and the federal government is not going to walk away. This is one of those times when we aren't Democrats or Republicans. Sounds like hyperbole, but it's real. We're all Americans. We stand together as United States of America. And so I say to all the victims, you're in our prayers, and all those first responders, emergency personnel, and everyone helping their fellow Americans, that this is the right thing to do at the right time, and we're going to get through this. And I'll be happy to take a question or two if uh, you have any about this. Did this say anything to you about climate well, all that I know is that the intensity of the weather across the board has some impact as a consequence of the warming of the planet and the climate change. The specific impact on these specific storms, I can't say at this point. I'm going to be asking the EPA and others to take a look at that. But the fact is that uh, we all know everything is more intense when the climate is warming. Everything. And obviously it has some impact here, but I can't give you a, a quantitative read on that. Mr. President, do you have any plans to visit any of the affected areas this week? And yes, I do. I, I spoke with uh, — I started off this morning with the governor of Kentucky, and 
offered to, I said, I'll be happy to come, but I don't want to be in the way. When a president shows up, he shows up with an awful lot of personnel, an awful lot of vehicles, an awful lot of uh, we can we can get in the way unintentionally. And so what I'm working with the governor of Kentucky and others who may want me to be there is I may make sure that we are value added at the time and we're not going to get in the way of the rescue and recovery. But I will pl I do plan on going. Well, we'll see. Whatever is needed, I'm going to ask for. If we don't already have the wherewithal to take care of it, I'm going to ask for it. This is the United States of America. Our citizens are badly, badly hurt, and they're scared to death right now in terms of all those folks who they can't figure where they are. Where's my son? Where's my daughter, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad? It's devastating. Yes, you had a question, sir. The answer is yes, if in fact the states conclude they need it. And so the national. And if you ever need me for anything, don't hesitate. I'm there for you. I am there for you. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy uh, may, maybe you ought to come down and have dinner with me. <laughs> yeah, I will. No, I'm coming. In the audience's attention, do you have any idea how we can get the public and the, the media to pay more attention to what's happening in global warming? Because it's such a long, there's such a long. Uh, time uh, span where these effects will happen in really dramatic ways. Is it that long? I think they're, they're happening, these effects. They're well, really that, happening. Well, they can be explained away with other explanations until the water just starts swamping Manhattan or just sure. washes away Mar-a-Lago. I, I, I do just think, for example, like, I know. But you know what I mean? Like, yes. even I who believe it go, yes. oh, I gotta hope it's wrong. Maybe it's wrong. No, I hear you. Because you don't want to think that such terrible things are going to happen. Of course we wish, but it is. And and I just want to say, too, people, particularly the most marginalized people, and particularly people in the world that had nothing to do with this, are the ones that are suffering the most currently, mm -hmm. including in Canada, including the environmental racism that's happening in Canada, including the province I'm from. What's environmental racism? It disproportionately affects people of color, whether it's um, like the, the, the disproportionate amount of landfills that are placed next to communities of uh, people of color in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. or whether it's about a, a, a pulp mill in Picto, Nova Scotia that's been there forever and uh, has destroyed the, you know, the, the, the environment and uh, the land of First Nations people. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like this is something that's happening. And it's happening to the most marginalized people, and we need to be talking about it. It's really serious. We've been told, as we know it, that by 2030, the world as we know it, that's it. That's it. If it was a movie, we'd have Bruce Willis in a suit, like, talking about something. Please cast me. Um, and said, but uh, you have, you like, please, Amy Adams, save us. I can just pray that, Amy, like, finally the aliens will come and have compassion for us, and Amy can do something. We, but, need, like, we need superheroes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like yeah. the urgency would be so severe, and instead it's like we have a media that's barely talking about it. We have a media that's saying it's a debate whether or not what just happened to Jesse Smollett is a hate crime. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. This isn't a debate. I agree. I agree. Sorry, I'm 
like, not at all. I'm like really fired not up tonight. This but is how this is how you have to be fired. It feels up. impossible to you not feel to this way right now with yeah. the president and the vice president Mike Pence, who like wishes I couldn't be married. Let's just be clear. <laughs> the vice president of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He wanted to ban that in Indiana. He believes in conversion therapy. He has hurt LGBTQ people so badly as the government of Indiana. And I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse. I don't know him personally. I saw, I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. This is what happens. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, you go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused and they're going to kill themselves and people are going to be beaten on the street. I have traveled the world and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. This needs to stop. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 12th of December, year of our Lord, 2021, and what a horrible storm. What a horrible storm. Um, Live very close to that area. Was up at uh, 2.30 yesterday because of it. Had the big boom, 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 and then stopped. It completely stopped. And that's what woke me up. And there was tornadoes all around us. So put mom and the dogs downstairs. They went to sleep. I pulled guard. Literally saw most of this stuff live. Um... That one, they were actually talking on TV because there was dual debris fields. But it is just insane. That there, that was right next to me. Less than 20 miles north. And that's five tornadoes on the ground. And, of course, you heard Biden. I put a couple of clips in there. Biden and Ellen Page because of the Smollett trial. And I just wanted to make sure none of that's recanted. Nothing's recanted by any of these people. But Biden pushing climate change. Because you never let a crisis go to waste. There's over 100 people dead. And he's pushing politics. Well, he's not. His handlers are. Uh, they're all pushing the politics. Because, you know, always. That's the one at Mayfield as it went across the road. You know, I've always been a person that thinks there's certain people that are just badasses. Storm set chasers are one of them. That's just, man, there's no way I'm doing that. But because we live in a garbage world right now, climate change, what does it look like? This is absolutely heartbreaking. It's a direct result of climate change. Believe me, I know it's tempting to scream, yell, and question why people are so slow to accept reality, but we must have the conversation. Oh, really? This is the time we're talking about it. 
The other one I won't even post. I'm not going to post it because they can fuck off. Sorry, Kentucky. Maybe if your two senators didn't spend decades blocking legislation to reduce climate change, you wouldn't be suffering from climate disaster. If it's any consolation, McConnell and Rand Paul have fucked us over, too. That, that's what the left did. Because they're evil. Just evil. They're just evil people. I mean, who does this? In that clip I play with Biden, attributes his low approval rating, which are hovering around 36 on disinformation campaigns. And I put them together because it goes together. It just goes together. These people don't live in the same world we do. You get up. You didn't get enough sleep. You got to get your kids off to school. You got to go to work. You got to come home. And you got to be lectured to every day by the fucking TV telling you're an uneducated piece of shit. By Chuck Todd and all these other elites who think they know everything. And then when they're told we don't like what they get, well, it's because you're uneducated again. You're an idiot. But this is amazing if you're not paying attention. But if you're paying attention, of course Hispanics are changing. Hispanics don't believe in unfettered 2 million people across the border. Hispanics don't believe in abortion. And this shit, this stuff is getting out of control. Literally, uh, 56 respondents said they would support restricting abortion to 15%. See, we talk about it on the show all the time, but the media doesn't talk about it. And the reality is that, yeah, 67% of America, almost 70% believes we shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. But the same percentage, plurality, as you guys like to use, use believes that you shouldn't kill a baby when it comes out of the womb like there are laws in California, Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey, fucking Virginia with government, string them up, blackface fucker, Northam. Nobody believes that shit. They also don't believe in federal funding, which is in Build Back Better. And in almost every blue state's with Medicaid. Nobody believes this shit. No, nobody agrees. Because once again, as we said on the previous podcast... We've all been walking around with 3D pictures of a baby's face in our pocket. You can no longer say clump O cells. That's a liberal poll. Liberal poll. You're murdering a child. And then when you put them on their own words and you use them, and he literally said fair share. So we're going to play the bumper that we usually do, but I wanted to start with the tornado first. The fair share shit's back again. Nationally, prices are down seven cents a gallon and continuing to fall. We're making progress. We're gonna keep at it to ensure the American people are paying their fair share for gas. Justice Department has filed suit against the state of Texas for violating Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Texas has violated Section 2 by creating redistricting plans that deny or abridge the rights of Latino and black voters to vote on account of their race, color, or membership in a language minority group. The Department of Justice is suing the state of Texas over redistricting maps that they say, as you just heard, explicitly discriminate against Latino and black voters. Despite minorities making up 95% of the state's population growth, the suit notes that Texas designed its two 
new congressional seats to have Anglo voting majorities. The suit also asserts that Texas intentionally eliminated a Latino electoral opportunity in West Texas and failed to draw an encompassing, a seat encompassing the growing Latino electorate in Harris County, which includes Houston. But the situation in Dallas might be the easiest to visualize, where, as the DOJ put it, Texas surgically excised minor minority communities from the core of the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex by attaching them to the heavily Anglo rural counties, some more than 100 miles away. I mean, does this look like a fairly drawn map to you? This comes at a time when Republicans are doing everything they can to make sure that Democrats cannot win more elections. In Ohio, lawmakers are hiring lawyers to defend their maps who worked with a North, their maps who worked with a North Carolina, who worked with a North Carolinian on what a court called one of the largest racial gerrymanderings ever encountered. And in Wisconsin, a group tied to Donald Trump is trying to figure out how to bypass the Senate, the state's Democratic governor, and how to change how elections are run. I'm joined now by Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter, and Jason Johnson is back with me. And Latasha, it's so blatant now, now without, with the Voting Rights Act essentially on death's door, Republicans are doing this openly. You're in the position now of registering and trying to encourage uh, black folks and, and folks to vote. Black Voters Matter is out there doing that. How does this change the context? Because if they're just going to steal the elections, how do we even encourage people to sign up and be a part of the process at all? I think that's an excellent question. I think that's why we have to do more. That yes, while we're gonna organize, we've been very clear from the beginning um, with this administration and with Congress that we can't out-organize what's happening to us right now, right? And that it is going to take federal legislation. We're going to have to put pressure on federal legislation. I think it's quite ironic that the president is hosting a democracy summit with world leaders, yet right in his own backyard, what we're seeing is we're seeing efforts to actually undermine and marginalize black voters and brown voters all across this country. So if we want to talk about democracy, as my grandmother used to say, charity begins at home. Yeah, I mean, we, let's look at this Texas redistricting plan. White voters account, account for 40% of the population, but they get 60% of the district. Hispanic voters are 39% of the population. They only get 18%. Black voters are 12%. They get none of <laughs> the new districts. I mean, Jason, it's not subtle. No, no, it's not subtle. And I mean, the, these districts they make look like a Dexter blood splatter. They're just pieces here and there that are just convenient for whatever the Republicans want. And it, and the, the concern is, and Latasha sort of points this out, you know, being in Georgia and parts of South, the concern is even if you can organize, the legislation that is being passed in a lot of these states has basically said the state can step in and throw out whatever the results are exactly. if they don't like them. This is an emergency. And I know this is something that hasn't been done in 50, 60 years. But you know what happened when the federal government said, hey, Brown versus Board of Education, we've got to integrate schools? They sent troops. They sent federal officials to places and said, you will let black children into school. This administration can say, we have concerns about how elections are being conducted in this particular state. We're going to send officials down there. We're gonna send election observers. If we think the people's civil rights are being violated, we will do a federal takeover. I know lots of people are gonna scream about this, the right workers is gonna scream. This is what the federal government is supposed to do. If states are violating people's civil rights, you're supposed to step in. And we know perfectly well that the courts alone are not going to be good enough for this because by the time this gets up to the handmaid and all those other people hiding in the Supreme Court, they're going to say that what Texas is doing is fine. So in order for this government, for the Biden administration to save next year's elections, they're going to have to get aggressive and they're going to have to get creative about protecting people's rights. And let's be clear. 
Just because you pass legislation doesn't guarantee Democrats win. Look what happened in Virginia. But right. it does guarantee that people have a right to vote, and that's something everybody should be allowed to do regardless of. One real quick one on the Jesse Smollett verdict. Mm -hmm. um, both the president and the vice president tweeted um, at the time of that attack. Um, the president tweeted, what happened to Jesse Smollett must never be tolerated in this country. We're with you, Jesse. The vice president called it an attempted modern-day lynching. Um, since the guilty verdict, are there any lessons learned here on uh, rushing to judgment when a crime is alleged? I think uh, there, are, there are lessons learned perhaps for everybody who commented uh, at the time, including former President Trump. I wish April Ryan was here because I think she asked him the question. I, do I see her somewhere or no? Okay. She just left, where he said, I can tell you that it's horrible. It it's, doesn't get worse uh, in response to her question about the about the uh, about Jesse Smollett at the time. Uh, I would say that we respect the jury's uh, decision. Lying to the police, particularly about something as heinous as a hate crime, is shameful. Uh, instances of that need to be investigated fully, and those found guilty need to be punished. And false accusations divert valuable police resources away from important investigations. They make it harder for real victims to come forward and be believed. You know, if you look back at the time, it's also true and important to note that accusations of hate crime should be taken seriously, and they need to be fully investigated. But that's where everybody was looking at it at the time. But certainly knowing what we know now, it's important to also note uh, the danger of lying to police and lying about hate crimes and the fact that it diverts important resources. Go ahead, Kristen. Well, I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive President, former President of the United States and his lackeys and his bullies that he sent to the Capitol for the trauma that he, that was, in, what was exerted on our staff. When I saw what it meant to the staff the way it traumatized them, it was frightening. That's something that you, you, cannot, you cannot just say, well, we'll do legislation to make sure this or that doesn't happen again. You cannot erase that. Tough words from Nancy Pelosi moments ago. In the early morning hours yesterday, the Christmas tree outside of Fox's Manhattan headquarters went up in flames. It was an act of arson at a time where crime in America is escalating. And police say that a man who has since been released set the massive artificial tree ablaze and then watched it burn. We covered this story as a crime, and Fox covered it too, extensively as the centerpiece of their Newsday. Sad news, our very own beautiful 50-foot Fox News Christmas tree was destroyed. Who sets a Christmas tree on fire? Who sets a Christmas tree? Well, I mean, it's just part of the rampage. No city is safe. No person is safe from the It's a tree that unites us, that brings us together. It's about the Christmas spirit. It is about the holiday season. Uh, it's it, about Jesus. It's about Hanukkah. It is about everything that we stand for as a country. Freedom and being able to, to worship the way that you want to worship. It makes me so mad. No one can burn down the spirit of Christmas or destroy our resilience. A new tree is on the way. They look at the lights, and today there are no lights because somebody burned down our Christmas tree. And I hope we put it back. I mean, I, I hope we I put it back I hope we build bigger. it back bigger right. and better. Why is burning Christmas trees not a hate crime, according to the DOJ? So for someone to burn that down is just so disheartening and so sad. It's going to mean something a little different because we lost our tree and we're going to have another tree.
We're going to build the tree. The tree will be back in no time. It is going to be beautiful and massive, and it is going to mean even more than it did before. Because if that's if your tree is real in a crowded area, this thing can, you could blow, you could burn down city blocks. But it's emblematic of a cities, cities across America that are out of control. From this city has gone south when it comes to safety. We don't feel safe when we come to work in the morning. America's crime crisis hits close to home for us here at Fox. After a brazen arson attack happened right outside our New York City headquarters and giving us a front row seat to the rampant crime ravaging Democrat-run cities. So come see us, come celebrate, uh, you firebug little bastard, you're not gonna keep us down. So this is deeply personal to all of us, not just right. to the folks who work at Fox, but to all of you at home, because it's red, white, and blue. It represents America. And our whole lobby was full of smoke, evidently. He apparently scaled the tree, ignited a massive fire, endangering hundreds of people in and around our Fox News headquarters. Now, no one was injured in this incident, but they could have been. This is a serious incident. Obviously, it's incredibly scary to feel that your workplace is under attack, unless... Your workplace is the capital. Then, according to many, many Fox hosts, it's not such a big deal. 99% of them, 100%, uh, 99% of them were peaceful. You don't see people hiding bombs or using bayonets. You see people walking around and taking pictures. They don't look like terrorists, they look like tourists. They were there to support the President of the United States and defend our republic and stand up and say, I just want a fair shake. The insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. It wasn't insurrection. It was a political protest that got completely out of control. For best performance in an action role, the winner is Michael Fanon. At Fox, when the target is a Christmas tree at their workplace, it is a sacrilege. But when the target is the seat of American democracy, it's not. The whole of Congress, as they certify a presidential election that was fair and secure, when the perpetrators are Trump supporters in the thousands, four of whom died that day, when the victims are police officers, 140 of whom were injured, and when five police officers have died in the wake of the attack, including four by suicide, when Fox's own colleagues had to take cover inside the Capitol complex on January 6th, Fox downplays the attack, and in many cases, flat out doesn't cover it, ignores that it ever happened. Just imagine if Fox hosts could muster for an armed attack on the Capitol the same outrage that they did for their Christmas tree. Perhaps some of the almost half of Republicans who think January 6th was a legitimate protest might actually see it for what it really was. And those are the numbers you remember when you're standing there filling up your tank and you're just watching, not a dial anymore, but you're watching the numbers go by, or when you're standing in the grocery line and you watch the numbers go up and up and up, which makes it hard for the president to make the case. And it's dangerous for a president to be sound optimistic when people are feeling a punch. But if you look at these numbers, 5.6 million jobs created since Joe Biden became president. The unemployment rate is 4.6%. Disposable income is up 2%. There are positive economic indicators uh, out there, but it, it's very hard for a president or his party to sound, hey, you're fine when people are feeling pain. Well, and that's the delicate balance of going out and selling something like the infrastructure bill or going out and selling this big social safety net bill, because you might be able to argue, look at all these projects coming to your community, but people might think to themselves, but what about my family? What about the fact that when I go to the store, milk costs more than it did two weeks ago. 
those are the sort of challenges that the president has and the Democrats really have in messaging their agenda right now because it is a push and pull. It is a balance to go out and say things are going to get better or things are fine when that may not be the perception of many Americans. And you wrote about this. Uh, Joe Biden's not known as a fiery populist by any means. <laughs> it's just not his DNA. But uh, there are, there's a lot of evidence that, yes, a lot of this is the pandemic economy. A lot of this is the economy trying to fight its way out of the pandemic. But there's also a lot of corporations that are saying, hey, prices are up, so no one's going to notice uh, if we jack us up a little bit more, too, and make right. some profits. Right, and that goes, to the, that goes to the attitude or the psychology that you were referring to before. There are CEOs and other senior executives at major corporations that are saying on earnings calls, to your point, on earning calls, bragging about the fact that in the current climate, when consumers expect higher prices, is a pretty great time to raise prices, actually. And so you have massively profitable businesses that are telling their investors, look, this is a great time for us uh, because we can raise these prices. We can pass on costs to the consumers. Uh, and then you've got, of course, the consumers who are feeling the costs passed on. And, and tend to blame the politicians. Of or course. at least they get a chance. They get a chance to blame the politicians when they go vote. Yeah, we're going to get to the Fox Christmas tree in a second, but Texas voting right, they all they do is be hypocrites. If they can't win and you put laws in that restrict their cheating and bullshit, both parties redistrict. Both. And you see that little twat over there about the Fox Christmas tree. And Pelosi talking about January 6th. And the media starting to get sick of their shit. And then you see this article, which you saw fucking everywhere. There's no reason to date Trump voters. Why would you do that? Young Democrats are right. There is no reason to date or befriend Trump voters. Polling shows many Democrats won't socialize with Republicans. Which just shows they have self-respect. Salon. Look at that. I put them side by side because in the end, these people screamed about fascism and Nazis and brown shirts while they were sicking BLM and Antifa on everybody. And they talk about rule of law and he's doing this. But this comes from the media doing this. A hate crime hoax is a loathsome thing. And that's what TV actor Jesse Smollett did. He lied about being beaten on the street, doused with bleach, having a noose put around his neck. He said that masked attackers, who he's, quote, assumed were white, yelled racist and homophobic slurs and, quote, this is MAGA country. It was all a lie. And an avoid an exhausted jury eventually hugged five of the six charges on him. Now, Smollett served, seemed to believe that being a victim would elevate his stature, which says a lot about what we honor in society today. Almost as sick is that throughout his trial, Smollett continued to insist that he was telling the truth, as if repetition of the lie would somehow erase the overwhelming evidence, and even the confessions of his accomplices. Of course, hate crime hoaxes do real harm. They're used to discredit actual incidents that often get less attention than this celebrity scam. After all, the FBI reports that hate crimes have been on the rise, hitting a 12-year high in 2020. 
So it's no surprise that many people took Smollett at his word. Attempting a hate crime hoax this brazen seemed unthinkable. So friends and fellow celebrities, many Democratic politicians put out statements of support, including Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and AOC, who, absent any evidence, seemed to immediately assume Smollett was telling the truth. Now, right-wing talk TV has made much of this, ignoring the fact that even then, President Donald Trump offered sympathetic words in the wake of the alleged attack. But as the day went, days went by, there was increased skepticism as well. Chicago Sun-Times columnist Mary Mitchell wrote, The incident sounds so bizarre, it's easy to doubt that it happened. And when the Cook County Prosecutor's Office tried to make it all go away, Chicago's Democratic mayor at the time, Rahm Emanuel, called it a whitewash of justice, while the police chief released more and more information. Ultimately, the trial went forward. The truth came out. But as CNN's Oliver Darcy points out, right-wing talking heads are still trying to use the verdict to put the media on trial, saying it was complicit in amplifying the hoax. That's a self-serving charge. But let's try to cut through all the situational ethics and apply the same standard across the partisan divide. Jesse Smollett's repetition of a lie did not make it true. He apparently thought that by playing the victim, regardless of evidence, he could benefit from all the attention. It's a strategy he might as well have learned from Donald Trump. When caught in a lie, double down, lie more, play the victim, ignore the facts, make excuses, demonize the other side, and hope that the confusion muddies the waters enough to fool your supporters and avoid accountability. It didn't work in Jesse Smollett's case. The trial brought the truth to light. But he's an actor. Donald Trump was president of the United States. He should not be held to a lower standard. And yet he has so far totally avoided legal accountability for his hoax, defrauding the American people by continuing to lie about a free and fair election he lost, trying to intimidate election officials and interfere in election results, both crimes, by the way, inciting insurrection and sowing distrust in our democracy in the process. And of course, despite all the evidence, Donald Trump's big lie continues to be amplified by right-wing media. In that sense, Donald Trump is the Jesse Spillett of American politics. We break this fever when we follow the facts without fear or favor, remembering that all lies stop where accountability starts. And that's your reality check. When there is accountability, it can make a difference. John Avalon, thank you. New details. This weekend on CBS Sunday Morning, Rita Braver speaks with President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden, reflecting on their first year in the White House. It's a rare Camp David interview, and Rita asked the First Lady about the president's political opponents. I think a lot of people would find it hard to believe that you don't get frustrated when you feel that Republicans are really trying to block the president's agenda. He keeps working at it. He's an eternal optimist, and he keeps working, uh, Rita, like almost 24 hours a day, at creating relationships with Republicans as well as Democrats to push his agenda forward. It's that important. He doesn't ever come home and say to you, these such and such as, I can't believe what they're doing. Well, he might. Uh, make a disparaging remark once in a while, but I'm telling you, he, he believes, as he always has, he's always worked with both sides of the aisle, and that is what he will continue to do. An optimist. Rita Braver's full interview with the president and first lady airs this weekend on CBS Sunday Morning. I like the first lady saying he might make a disparaging remark. 
once in a while. <laughs> that's called. Okay, so, so this tweet, you're familiar with it. It's sparking a, a lot of reaction this weekend. Understandable. One, why a Republican member of Congress would consider this Christmas appropriate. We can show the image on screen, but also coming days after a school shooting uh, in Oxford, Michigan. Let's show that picture. So this is his family. Santa, please bring ammo, he says. I just want to draw attention to, to the weapon that Thomas Massey himself is holding. That is either an M60 or, or a weapon modified to look like an M60, which is a, hires a very high-velocity, large round. Uh, in the Vietnam War, it was used to defend hillsides, uh, and he was holding it in a Christmas photo here. Um, what does this say about the current state of guns? in politics in this country? Because he clearly, this was not accidental. This was yeah. deliberate. And, yeah. and I imagine he's probably fundraising off that right now. Absolutely. I mean, politically, mm -hmm. incredibly insensitive um, to the moment we're in right now. Look, the reality is that Republicans, when it comes to guns and the Second Amendment, even after these tragedies, mm -hmm. you know, they, they more so cling uh, to their right, their right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of Republicans for years who have, you know, used images of them holding guns, standing yeah. in front of guns, It's almost shooting required guns. now. In, yeah, in, yeah, exactly, uh, to win primaries, to raise money. Um, but specifically coming after this shooting where a 15-year-old was given, gifted a gun for yeah. Christmas and went up and shot up his school and killed yeah. a bunch of people, is, it's just, it's, it's outrageous. Uh, but outrage, unfortunately, in this time, makes money and makes people popular. And so in the Republican Party right now, you have someone like Thomas Massey, who I wouldn't be surprised is gonna take sort of the criticism of this tweet and the rebukes of this tweet and actually try to raise even more money from it. Let me ask you this, though. Democrats have the White House, the House, and the Senate granted by small margins, but they have it. Is there any actual appetite or momentum among Democratic leaders to push gun control legislation? Yeah. Other than Chris Murphy, right? Yeah, Chris Murphy was on TV talking mm. about it yesterday. Um, look, nobody's talking about it for real. No. I mean, it's sort of the sad reality. We saw this a few years ago in Sandy Hook, where a bunch of elementary school kids yeah. were gunned down, and nothing was done in Washington. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wouldn't expect uh, anything to change yeah. in the next few weeks. Meanwhile, you keep yeah. seeing these pictures of yeah. young kids who lost their... Today marks 80 years since the infamous surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, a day that would change the course of our nation's history. Just as the strength of our democracy was tested then, we find ourselves yet again in a different but just as dangerous war on truth and democracy and science. CNN's John Avalon is here with a reality check. Now, 80 years ago today, Pearl Harbor was attacked, dragging America into the Second World War. It remains a date which lives in infamy, as FDR said. But it followed more than a decade of depression in which democracy seemed to be in retreat against authoritarian regimes. By comparison, we have it easy. But democracies are again suffering from self-doubt as authoritarians seem on the march. Over the past six years, America's endured sustained assaults on truth, democracy, and science, leading to reduced trust in our institutions and each other. The poll asked young Americans to put a percentage on the chance that the United States would see a second civil war in their lifetimes. And while these sorts of dramatic what-if questions should be taken with a pound of salt, it's still not reassuring to see 35% of all respondents place the likelihood of a second civil war at 50% or higher in their lifetime. Behind all these hard numbers is an even harder psychological impact. The survey found that 51% folks say they felt down, hopeless, or depressed over the past two weeks, while 25% said they had thoughts they might be better off dead or hurting themselves in some way, with young women particularly feeling that way. If you're feeling depressed, don't be afraid to ask for help. You are not alone. 
But also remember that we are made from sturdy stuff. The so-called greatest generation suffered through the Great Depression and World War. They were great because they overcame great obstacles and found that they didn't have to be perfect to be heroes. For all our very real challenges, the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor is a reminder that we have been through far worse. That attack caught America by surprise, but within a few years, the world found out that a diverse democracy has strengths that authoritarian regimes... And, you know, I want to ask, because this, you know, gun violence keeps happening, you're working alongside gun enthusiasts uh, like Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who made, you know, her carrying her gun uh, to work on Capitol Hill a part of her uh, campaign, quite frankly. She's made uh, threatening comments. She's made insulting comments about some of your fellow colleagues. Um, I'm just curious with the the um, discord happening on Capitol Hill right now. Do you feel safe working on Capitol Hill alongside people who are provocateurs? And some of that uh, provoking led to the violence that we saw happen on January 6th. Well, I do feel safe uh, and I'm thankful for the work of the men and women of the Capitol uh, Hill police force, who, as we saw on January 6th, put their lives on the line uh, to defend the Congress, the Capitol, the Constitution, uh, and the country uh, from that violent attack that was provoked and incited by the former president of the United States of America. But we do uh, need an end to the reckless and radical, divisive and dangerous rhetoric that continues to come from people on the other side of the aisle, whether that's Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Paul Gosar, uh, it's endless in terms of the vitriol that we've seen. They need to be held accountable. Some of them have. Some of them will be. We also need Republican leadership to act in a responsible way and stop burying their heads in the sand before closing in on the one year anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol, if you can believe it. With that. Just one month away, The Atlantic is dedicated its January and February issues to American democracy in crisis. The headline of the cover story is jarring. Quote, January 6th was practice. Joining us now, the magazine's editor-in-chief, Jeffrey Goldberg. And Jeffrey writes this for the new issue's editor's note. Quote, there is insufficient space in any one issue of this magazine to trace the Republican Party's decomposition from Lincoln's day to ours. It is enough to say that its most recent and most catastrophic turn toward authoritarianism, nativism, and conspiracism threatens the republic that it was founded to save. Stating plainly that one of America's two major parties, the party putatively devoted to advancing the ideas and ideals of conservatism, has now fallen into autocratic disrepute, is unnerving for a magazine committed to being, in the words of our founding manifesto, of no party or clique. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, talk about uh, your decision to dedicate uh, this special issue to this yeah. issue, to, to this topic. Uh, as yeah. we look behind you at a very ominous uh, cloud hovering over the Capitol. Yeah, I arranged that for you, Joe. Um, <laughs> Thank you the, so much. Uh, you're welcome. The, um, you know, it, we have three years until an election um, that might be unlike any election we've ever seen, um, which is to say the following. 
democracy <clears throat> democracy depends on the consent of the losers on the willingness of the party that has lost to say we lost we'll try next time but meanwhile we'll support the elected president we're heading to a situation because of donald trump's behavior and because of the people who abet his behavior um, in which that is not entirely clear it's not entirely clear that that's going to happen and so uh, i thought that we should really focus now, start to really focus now uh, on these, it's a whole range of threats, a whole range of things that uh, Trump and his minions are doing to try to guarantee that by hook or by crook uh, that they win in, in 2024. And so we've pulled together this, this special issue just to, just to outline uh, for our readers uh, all the things that could go wrong and all the things that are happening right now um, to, to that, that the Republican Party or much of the Republican Party is doing to make sure that um, that the, the situation is, is geared to their favor. If you speak to people like Madeleine Albright and those who have come from this type of thing, who know it so well, their fear is that January we're, we're well over the edge. We're well over the edge, and we're not where we should be in terms of turning this ship around. And if you look at the way that Republicans are acting right now in Congress, it can't be looked at as, oh, they're just the crazies on the far, far right. This is now the behavior that's being embraced. Right. People, you know, people like Madeleine Albright who come out of Europe, people who come out of Asian experiences with authoritarianism, African experiences with authoritarianism, they they're warning us. And, and the warning is don't think you're special. You, you know, human beings yeah. are human beings. Societies are societies. People are 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 prey to the same weaknesses and temptations uh, across the planet. And just because we've managed to stave off authoritarianism in the past doesn't mean that you're that you're able to stave it off in the future when you have. Rick, is there a. Um sort of contraction of the options available is there a cumulative emboldening of vladimir putin from the last four years of, of the american political landscape is is the is any american weakened by coming after trump i mean I, vladimir putin was watching your last segment with bart uh nicole i mean he he reads the newspapers he he reads the polls uh you know donald trump probably sends him his internal polls i mean you know Putin is a kind of a checkers player. He's a he, he he believes in brinksmanship. He tests people. He tests nations. He's testing Joe Biden now. He's looking at Biden's polling. He's looking at the midterms. He's looking at the possibility that America will turn authoritarian and will have an authoritarian president in in three more years. Uh, so he's testing all of that. I, you know, one of the things that the White House said in the readout is that they they don't they don't think. They're not sure that Biden has made, I mean, that uh, Putin has made a decision about this. I think that's right. I think he's a, he, he makes decisions in the moment based on how people react. And that's why I think uh, Biden's strong call today, the fact that he, that he didn't back down, that he said, look, you know, there are going to be real consequences for this, was, a, was, was, was positive. I mean, I, I just saw, I've been, you know, looking, I get, I get the tweets from the Russian foreign ministry. Mm -hmm. They spent three, they waited three hours to do their readout from that call. That's very uncharacteristic for the Russians. They usually do it right away. To me, that suggests, well, maybe there was, maybe it was tougher than they thought it was going to be.
Claire, I, I um, follow some accounts that monitor Russian media, and the Russian coverage of Trump is, is almost like an arm of the RNC, the way they cover Trump, the way they sort of follow his every move, the way they cover the Trump media echo chamber. You know who I'm talking about. What do you make of, of sort of the, this, this new Republican-Russian alliance as a, as a geopolitical challenge for, for this White House? Well, it's another norm-busting. Yeah. Um, the Republicans that I knew, <laughs> the Republicans that I John knew McCain when I served on the Armed right. Services Committee. Yeah. And Lindsey yeah. Graham and Tom Cotton and all of them. Uh, Marco Rubio, they were all about uh, making sure that we had eyes on Russia and that we were. We've said it before and we're going to say it again. The biggest story in American politics is and will continue to be this homegrown effort to undermine U.S. democracy, largely fueled by the former president and his loyalists who have hijacked and radicalized a part of the Republican Party. There's a reason the U.S. is now considered a backsliding democracy. That is the elephant in the room as President Biden kicked off a two-day global virtual summit this morning on renewing democracy at home and abroad. But the uncomfortable reality facing the president is that there's one party that seems willing to pull out all the stops when it comes to the issue of the U.S. democracy, and it isn't his. As Bart Gelman so aptly put it in The Atlantic, our two-party system has only one party left that is willing to lose an election. The other appears is willing to win at the cost of breaking things that a democracy cannot live without. Meanwhile, the president and Democrats in Congress have yet to make a full-throated push, even within their own party, to pass legislation aimed at protecting elections nationally as a potential counterweight to the right's efforts to subvert them locally. Bottom line, if President Biden wants democracy to thrive abroad, he's got a deal. He's got a crisis to deal with first right here at home. Does the White House acknowledge the idea here of how hard it is for, on one hand, the United States to play leading democracy in the world, and on the other hand, we are not a picture right now of a country that we would want others to emulate? I want to play for you a quote from President Biden from July of this year, because it has an urgency to it that we did not hear today. Take a listen. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. What he said in July, to me, matched the urgency of the moment. What he's saying today doesn't. I couldn't ag agree more, Chuck. I think that's, that's, that urgency is the key word. The urgency that we need to be hearing is, look, there's a crisis. There's... Um, the United States, over the course of the last 10 months, is actually a lesson in how democracies stumble and come to the edge. And what are we going to do about this? How are we going to reinvent this system? I do think that many of us will look back in five years and say, boy, there was only one issue we should have been covering the entire time. And yet, at the same time, how do you do it without coming across as alarmist and having people tune out? I feel like it's a real White House on 9-11, and I experienced the trauma of being told by Secret Service to take off my shoes and run. Nobody told me that 9-11 was a tourist visit. Nobody made fun of me or told me to, you know, put on my big girl pants when I went to the White House doctor who was not Ronnie Jackson six months later and said I couldn't sleep. No one delegitimized my trauma because no one delegitimized what I'd lived through. This group of Capitol Hill staffers has the most excruciating task of getting through their trauma with one of the two parties on Capitol Hill denying that it ever occurred. What um, this prosecutor did something different. She did something bold. There's not a ton of precedent for it. And 
in your view, what, what should we be looking out for in the coming days? So, I, you know, let's keep our eye on how those who uh, are, are Second Amendment enthusiasts until, uh, you know, the, the end of the earth when it comes to even children having access to guns. Let's see how they respond. Let's see how this gets spun by uh, perhaps members of Congress even who are uh, even owned by the NRA in many respects of where their donations come from. Let's keep an eye on that and try to keep them honest in terms of what really happened here and the degree to which these now potentially fugitive parents become some kind of cause celeb um, for for the far right, which would be a, a terrible politicizing of a tragedy, but we've seen that happen before. And and then let's let's all demand, I'm going to give people some homework here, go and ask your school board and your school officials, what is the level of partnership that we have in our school between the sheriff or the police and the guidance counselors and the principal. When I was in the FBI, we held seminars for these partnerships. And in many cases, it was the very first time that, say, an assistant principal or an assistant chief of police had ever met each other, let alone understood how they should work together and assess a threat. So ask those questions if you're a parent, get those answers. Are there any lessons that were learned during the mass evacuation in Afghanistan that are already being uh, being heated this time around as you begin contingency planning? I think it's really important for people not to compare the two. I mean, you, of course, I mean, you can ask any question you want, but Afghanistan was a war zone. We were at war for 20 years. These members say that Russia has um, taken action that, uh, you know, using gas as a geopolitical weapon. They point to, uh, you know, coercing and manipulating countries in Europe over the course of the summer, um, you know, taking advantage of the energy crisis, for instance, just a couple months ago. Um, and Biden and Merkel promised sanctions if those events were to transpire. Does the White House believe that what we've seen up until now is not Russia using gas as a geopolitical weapon? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman, said earlier this week also that she doubted allegations of organized retail thefts. Uh, she believed it was a Walgreens in California that cited it, but the data didn't back it up. Does the president believe that organized retail theft is really happening, and should it be on the stores themselves to take action to prevent it? Well, we, we don't agree. Following up on the announcement of uh, not sending a American delegation to Beijing yeah. uh, for the Winter Games, um, you were just saying this is an example of action that the president would take. It, would the president support the IOC moving the games from Beijing altogether? I don't. I have not heard that's an option under consideration. Uh, I can just speak to what the decisions are we're making here from the U.S. government, which we spoke to yesterday. I still believe, though, that the Olympic Games should be... How do you not have hate? How? How do you not have fucking hate? How do you not have people doing violent things? These are all the people about juicy. I would parrot Mr. Freaking uh, Ben Shapiro because it's a juicy schmolay. Juicy schmolay is the guy that we're talking about who made it up. The media never once recanted anything anything these people they will tell you what is in front of your face is not what you think it is and they'll do it 
constantly, constantly, over and over and over. And they will use everything that they can do to fucking get Democrats elected because they have a vested interest in it. But all the while, they're just telling people the other side is evil. In that montage I literally played because I just got distracted downloading audio bites. Um, Avalon, both sides redistrict. Shut the fuck up. Smirconish attacking fucking Christians again. You got Trump, uh, fucking Todd losing his shit. And that skank over there, Wallace, literally... Once again, saying things to incite, hate, divide. And then when confronted uh, fucking Pasaki once again, what do they say? We didn't do anything wrong. We never are wrong. We never do anything wrong. And study shows they just buried this. They haven't done anything. Yet ex-Obama aide said she had a small role in assisting Smollett. We all know this. What did they do? Buried it. Tell me of a dem- a Republican. In this, Lemon was working with Smollett. Another anchor. And then, as clockwork, and I don't have a picture of it. Jesse Smollett, guilty verdict, just made it even harder for victims of hate crime. And they didn't say because he lied. It's because of what they did. And then violence that comes from this, I don't care what you say, it just does, keeps spinning up, and I'd say the jerk off the week because I have a spin section. Listen to Lightfoot. New York City's Mayor Bill de Blasio painting an optimistic portrait today of crime in the Big Apple, despite startling headlines like the murder of a Columbia University student stabbed to death in a city park Sunday, or the NYPD's own statistics showing crime is up 3.4% in the Big Apple compared to last year. And while murders are nearly the same, felony assaults are up about 9%. Auto grand larceny is up more than 14%, and hate crimes have nearly doubled. NYPD Commissioner Dermot says the problem is progressive bail reform laws. When you have mass amounts of people put back on the streets that have traditionally been uh, held in jail, you're seeing some of that permeate here as well. I mean, that, that's just a fact. Nationwide, at least 12 major cities have reportedly broken all-time high homicide records in 2021, including Philadelphia, where 523 people have been murdered this year. That's up 13% compared to last year and breaking the previous record set in 1990. Despite this, Philly's progressive district attorney, Larry Krasner, says there is no crime crisis. Basically, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. I am proud of our entire team in the LA County District Attorney's Office. We cannot prosecute our way out of social inequalities, income inequalities, the unhoused, the desperation that we have. The reasons for the crime surge are obviously complex and can't be entirely placed at one person's door. But the L.A. County Sheriff told us today the D.A. has to accept some blame. The message he's delivered to the criminal community, they've heard him loud and clear. And the sheriff says there has to be change. He's going to be recalled. 
And that's the change we need. I cannot see him, um, you know, doing a 180 and saying, well, that was a bad idea. No, he's going to double down on stupid. The district attorney and his supporters point out that voters elected him on the basis of the policies he promised and is now implementing. The sheriff acknowledges that too and says it should serve as a reminder to voters that now, those of you who may be unfamiliar with this case, it dates back to April. That's when all eyes were on the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. During the middle of that trial, about 11 miles away from a suburb of Minneapolis in Brooklyn Center, Kim Potter attempted to pull over Dante Wright for a traffic violation. He had an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror, which is illegal in Minnesota. Prior, uh, as he was, uh, as they were attempting to take him into custody, uh, Wright entered his vehicle and Potter yelled on that body cam video, taser, taser, taser. And she mistakenly pulled, or she says, she mistakenly pulled her taser her gun instead of her taser. Yesterday, members of Dante Wright's family and supporters spoke out. Listen in. Dante Wright was a student of mine at Edison High School. <coughs> he was a joy, and his smile would light up this room a thousand times. And that was Courtney Ross speaking. She's a former educator of Dante Wright, as well as the former girlfriend of George Floyd. And Erica and Jim, it's really crucial. A lot of folks are saying this video is going to play a critical role. And we've seen how video in cases have played a role before. Even in the case of Derek Chauvin, we saw the cell phone video, but once trial started, all angles from body cam video was essential. This next story brings together the two stories we've just talked about, the mass shooting in Michigan and the abortion arguments heard before the Supreme Court late yesterday. Democrat Chris Murphy from Connecticut posted this on Twitter. Driving home tonight, I thought about Republicans' floor speeches today on the sanctity of life and how this concern for life apparently doesn't extend to the kids who were shot today in a school in Michigan. So I turned the car around and went to the Senate floor. When the senator got there, here's part of what he said. Do not lecture us about the sanctity, the importance of life. When 100 people every single day are losing their lives to guns, when kids go to school fearful that they won't return home because a classmate will turn a gun on them, you care about life? Then get these dangerous military-style weapons off the streets, out of our schools. This is a choice made by the United States Senate to sit on our hands and do nothing while kids die. And Senator Murphy joins us now. Um, what's the, the response I wonder been to your speech? I mean, do, you know, obviously you have, you know, made impassioned speeches before. You've worked on these issues for a long, long time. Do you ever get the feeling that it doesn't have an impact? Oh, no, I think it all has an impact because we're building a social change movement, right? And every social change movement over the course of American history um, has to have the long view. It hits obstacles and failures before it achieves success. And that's what the modern anti-gun violence movement is. Um, I'm not sure that I 
change the minds of any of my Republican colleagues with that speech yesterday. But what I'm most worried about, Anderson, is that you know, this country, people of goodwill, people of conscience, um, just start to normalize these shootings, start to believe that we have to accept two mass shootings every single day, many of these high-profile school shootings uh, as part of the American landscape. It's just not true. It doesn't happen anywhere else other than the United States. It is a choice. There are policies in place that allow for this to continue. And my biggest worry is that we will lose this fight eventually uh, because people decide that it's just part of the admission ticket to being an American. That's just not true. You focus on what you see as the disconnect uh, between uh, you and the argument for the sanctity of life when it comes to abortion rights uh, and then d not applying in the same way uh, to the killing of kids. Yeah, I mean, it certainly appears that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Late Show. Welcome to The Late Show, everybody. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. The holiday season is in full swing already here in New York. The Christmas lights are burning bright especially over at Fox News headquarters. <laughs> where last night the Fox News Christmas tree was set on fire. Now, I know what you're thinking, but the ghost of Hugo Chavez has an alibi. <laughs> Thankfully, no one was hurt. We're not talking about a couple of toasted pine cones here. Take a look. Crispy Kringles. Of course, this would never have happened if the tree had a gun. Come on. You gotta... Give a squirrel. Give a squirrel a gun or something like that. Fox News tried to warn us this was coming. Every time a store clerk says, Happy Holidays, a Christmas tree bursts into flames. <laughs> Authorities arrested a suspect last night. Police say they believe he is homeless and mental illness may have played a factor. Homeless and mentally ill? Oh, my God! The fire was set by Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> so... No picture available. So it doesn't look like this holly jolly arsonist was politically motivated, but Fox News is still going to eight maids a milk it. Here's the stocking stuff with their coverage from this morning. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, somebody burns down a Christmas tree. This is personal to you two at home now. The Fox Christmas tree vandalized. Arson. I know some people would like to simplify this to just a, a Christmas tree. Who sets a Christmas tree on fire? The Christmas tree, the holiday tree here in the square. I'm sorry. Did a Fox anchor just say holiday tree? <laughs> what the? Am I? Keep it up, Deucey, and Ainsley's gonna set you on fire. <laughs> now, Fox clearly wanted to drive home the point that this fire was set intentionally, as Steve Deucey said. Apparently, the guy is still being interviewed by the arson squad. It's beginning to look a lot like arson. It's beginning to look a lot like arson. Everywhere you go, take a look at the tree and then the flames are roaring once again. Deucey, stop, drop, roll. Thank you. A little bing. You got a, a nice song. Touch of bing, baby. Bing Crosby. The fire was particularly upsetting for the friends at Fox because the evergreen tree is, of course, a symbol of the eternal life given by Christ. Or as Ainsley put it, it's a tree that unites us, that brings us together. It's about the Christmas spirit. It is about the holiday season. Uh, 
It's it, about Jesus. It's about Hanukkah. Ainsley, you're a gift from Jesus. <laughs> but I'm gonna... Bless your heart. Ainsley, I'm gonna go out on a burning limb and say this is not about Hanukkah. If it was, the fire would have looked like this. But... But... Ah! But on the other hand, Maybe it is about Hanukkah, because I have a feeling that Fox will miraculously make this story last for eight days. <laughs> it's also time for Congress's favorite holiday tradition, nearly destroying the economy for no damn reason. That's right, it's almost debt ceiling when both houses of Congress have to raise the official borrowing limit or the U.S. defaults on its debt, currency becomes worthless, we're all left in the afterscape trading sheep, potable water, and children for Dogecoin. But never fear, ladies and gentlemen, the situation is in the capable talons of Senate Minority Leader and toddler filling his diaper on Santa's lap. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. <laughs> McConnell wants to raise the debt ceiling, but he also wants to filibuster anything that moves. So he's come up with an ingenious strategy, getting 10 Republican senators to vote for a temporary fast-track process to allow Senate Democrats to act on their own to increase the debt limit with 51 votes. Yes, they're going to vote to allow someone else to vote to raise the debt ceiling. That way, no one can blame the Republicans if the United States continues to exist. It's the perfect crime. <laughs> they're, on, they're on track to pass it, but I refuse to give them any credit for doing the absolute bare minimum of not deliberately destroying the world economy. The debt ceiling should not even be a thing. Whose idea was it to give our government a built-in self-destruct mechanism? That's like having a microwave that has just three settings. Reheat, popcorn, and press me once an hour, I'll jump into the bathtub with you. <laughs> now, moving on to things that are actually happening. Scientists in South Africa just released the results of a study that found that Omicron seems to dull the power of the Pfizer vaccine, meaning that vaccinated people might be vulnerable to breakthrough infections. Boo! <laughs> Thank you. And I'm being told we actually have footage of a virus breakthrough. Omicron! Oh, Scientists, big fans. See, big fans. They, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Scientists were quick to clarify that while the results were somewhat worrisome, there's no cause for panic. Good. Because I wasn't panicking anyway. Maybe I should, but I'm so tired. <laughs> After five years of democracy burning like a Fox News Christmas tree and <laughs> two years of pandemic, my adrenal glands are as shriveled up as two craisins. <laughs> my fight-or-flight response has turned into caramel corn and Netflix. Besides, this is a preliminary study. How preliminary? They released the results in the highly respected medical journal, Twitter. <laughs> I look forward to the day when all medical studies debut on social media. Hey, TikTok fam, big news. Got this gorgeous new bag from Fendi. Can't wait to use it to hold my Nobel Prize because I cured cancer. Whoop, whoop, smash that follow button. Now... Oh, yeah. Who knows? 
So we don't, we don't know a lot yet. But one thing is clear. The new variant is spreading fast. 21 states have now detected Omicron, including Texas, where Houston health authorities found it in Houston's wastewater by analyzing sewage. That's right. <laughs> just got real. <laughs> and that's just the Omicron officials are able to detect. Reportedly, scientists have just found a stealth version of Omicron that may be harder for PCR tests to track. And, and I'm being told we have an enlarged image of the stealth variant. <laughs> we're, we're, also, we're also learning more about how the virus is transmitted. The new study found that when exhaling, males produced 34% more aerosol than females. Classic man spread. <laughs> the virus... We'll spread anything. The virus is also more likely to be transmitted by loud talkers, but that singing is worse than talking. Finally, scientific proof that office karaoke night is killing you. <laughs> speaking of science, speaking of science, more science. Researchers in Hong Kong have developed the first ever COVID-killing steel that can inactivate 99.99% .99 of the virus within six hours. That is fantastic. Also, didn't we learn months ago that COVID doesn't really spread via surfaces? <laughs> really sounds like these scientists found out about COVID two years ago, immediately locked themselves in a lab, and then just emerged like, we did it! Wait, <laughs> what do you mean it's airborne? Damn it! <laughs> well, I guess I'll go home and watch Quibi. What? I'm gonna write Governor Cuomo about this, huh? <laughs> I'd like to see what his brother Chris has to say about that. <laughs> There's big news in Germany, the world's number one exporter of consonants. Yesterday <laughs> was the last day in power for former Chancellor Angela Merkel seen here screaming, help, my children have been turned into birds. <laughs> Merkel has now officially stepped down after 16 years. That's a really long run. I know that personally, because her first year in office was the first year of my old show, which begs the question, who aged it better? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Why? No. Wait. Why? Why am I? Wait a second. Why am I the one who looks like he spent years trying to prevent the collapse of the Greek economy? <laughs> the Germans held an Auf Wiedersehen ceremony for Merkel, and one of the songs that she requested a marching band play was Du hast den Farbfilm vergessen, or You Forgot the Color Film, a 1974 punk rock anthem by the East German artist Nina Hagen. Woo! Of course! Of course Merkel's always been a little punk rock. Who can forget when she crowd-surfed at the UN General Assembly? <laughs> so, who's stepping into Merkel's later hosen? Why, it's none other than foreman German vice-chancellor and guy saying who has two thumbs and also looks like a thumb, Olaf Scholz. Woo! Olaf, baby! Woo! Number one Olaf fan. When I say Olaf, you say Bundeskanzler. 
Olaf! Olaf! It's a musical language. That is not at all terrifying to hear chanted. <laughs> Flashbacks. Flashbacks. I watch too much History Channel. But Chancellor Schultz isn't university beloved. He's been criticized by an opposition member for grinning like a Smurf. Hey, hey! That's not fair. He doesn't look like a Smurf. He looks like he eats Smurfs. <laughs> but Schultz said he didn't mind the comparison because Smurfs are small, crafty, and always win. Nicely done, Olaf. Although I'm not sure I know a ton about Smurfs is the biting comeback that you think it is. <laughs> oh, you think you won, but the joke's on you. I watch exclusively the kinder cartoons from the 1980s. Ah, victory. It's as sweet as strawberry shortcakes. By I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety uh, and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute um, plans like having security officers in their stores, making sure um, that they've got cameras that are actually operational. Just like inflation, crime's at a high. You hear all that, but they blame it. They blame on other things. I mean, that. this is the latest for Lightfoot, but there's just, they just, oh. The retailers, the victim, blame the victim. Christian Sanya Rosales Diego Roberto Lopena was sentenced to 121 and 108 months for committing series of dangerous armed carjacking across DC with a 12 month period in 2020. A 15 year old girl has pled guilty to felony murder in a role of carjacking that killed the Uber driver. Carjacking DC is now a problem. Local media produces helpful guide on avoiding it. Drive in the center lane to make it harder for potential carjackers. Crime in DC is so bad the media is giving people tips on how to avoid being carjacked. Here in Greenbelt, we have seen a couple of violent carjackings in the past week or so. Greenbelt police responded to Breezewood Court just the other day. Three men shot and wounded, or I should say three men shot and wounded a man and carjacked another person at gunpoint in the middle of the night in order to prevent a carjacking. Well, here's what we should be doing. Police say lock the doors when driving and when pumping gas. In fact, stay in your car if you can at the gas station. Always look around before getting out of your vehicle. And if you are the victim of a carjacking, give up that car. Your life is just not worth it. Equip your vehicle with an anti-theft or GPS tracking device and allow yourself room and traffic to move around other cars. Avoid getting boxed in, if you will, and keep yourself in your pocket rather than laying in your car. This is why you're not hearing as much guns, folks. Because now they made it so fucking dangerous that liberals are carrying guns. I mean, sweet God, folks. Sweet God. So 12 cities have now freaking gone crazy. Uh, 12 major cities have now annual homicide. Every city on the list run by a Democrat mayor. You're looking at St. Paul, Portland, Indianapolis, Toledo, uh, Rochester, Philadelphia, Louisville, Albuquerque, Tucson, Austin, Baton Rouge, Columbus, and everything else behind it is the same. There's more murders where I live. 
But just a couple stories to say why. Man assaulted, man, man busted for assault, set free, allegedly beats two random New York City women again, and is cut loose another time. And I tried really hard to get the video, and I don't know if I can get this. You've seen it. I'm not going to play it. The reality is he then puts a lady who's a BLM activist as a fucking federal attorney who is sitting there cursing at reporters, blames everything on Whitey, is on the record. You've seen it if you watch Fox or uh, Breitbart or freaking The Daily Wire. Because they're all Soros, George. Soros funnels four million in extremist group looking to defund the police. He has done million, tens of millions of dollars just to get this bail reform shit going. And then when the Christmas tree is done, once again, it just catches on fire. Now, first and foremost, a Christmas tree is not a religious symbol. I hear a lot of conservatives saying that. That's that's not true. That's that's not true. It's not true. It's a pagan symbol. But the reality is it's everywhere. Chicago there's a, there's an area that 10 trees have been burned down every year for like like 3 4 years. And it's all BLM stuff. These extremist groups going and burning down Christmas trees. If you burn down a fucking, if you burned a freaking mosque down, what would you do, folks? Or any symbols of fucking Islam, they get all fucking pissed off. Mm-mm. Not now. They just catch on fire. Dean Obadiah, because once again, it's Fox, it's conservative, it's it's bad. Let it go. Let it all go. Fuck them. Thoughts and prayers for the Fox News Christmas tree that was forced to stand outside a place that spews white supremacy and fascism. Perhaps the tree spontaneously burst into flames to save itself from having to see Tucker Klansman. I'm sincerely concerned with a Christmas tree that celebrates the birth of Jesus, forced to stand in front of a place that spews hate. Fox News is everything Jesus opposed. Once again, that's why you have young people don't want to date Republicans. Because the only way Democrats can get people to vote for them is to make the other people subhuman. Anybody that doesn't think like them, even Democrats now are being treated subhuman for not believing all the crazy bullshit these people are spewing. They're evil. Republicans or conservatives or most of us just think you're stupid, Dems. I don't think you're evil. I just think you're stupid. I think you're brainwashed. I think you're in a fucking cult. A hundred percent cult. And then, of course, like clockwork, the guy that catches the tree on fire literally is released. And it wasn't his first arson. I tracked a day and a half of coverage of the Fox News Christmas tree fire, which is at least referenced on every single Fox show yesterday. The outrage has been going strong all day. People are like, are you going to be okay? You're going to make it? I I just don't understand. I, I just don't understand 
how in the name of Zeus's ass crack people are still watching this peop- this shit still fucking into the fucking dark side of spinning what you can see every fucking day every day you turn on your TV they're saying the opposite, that crime isn't that bad. I mean, I could play all that montage that you probably already saw of fucking Democrats getting up and saying, no, uh, we're not in a crime spike. Really? And it's because they're not in the same world we are. They live in a different world. So the media jerk-off of the week, listen to this spin. It is fucking dangerous to be spinning this hard. I am Republican, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. It's just interesting. There's so much attention that's been given to Florida as of late. And, and I don't mean this as yes. a cheap shot, but it's interesting. Since the beginning of this pandemic, 53% more deaths per capita mm-hmm. in the state of Florida. 53% more wow. in the state of Florida compared to Florida. Well, thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah. I just think it's an important point because yeah. that's not brought up on a lot of networks in this country. Yeah. No. The surround sound. No. The misinformation yeah. that's been perpetuated by folks that somehow freedom. Yeah. From, uh, you know, and I just think that's important. Those states that have followed the science, those states mm-hmm. that have encouraged and increased boosters yeah. and vaccinations have outperformed and not just health from a health perspective, mm-hmm. but economically. Yeah. Yeah. The state of California did better economically yes. in Florida and Texas and Indiana and the U.S. as a whole. And I say that not to impress, but to impress upon you, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yep. And we have to move beyond Thank that. Thank you debate. for saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we say that... Um, a lot on this show, especially because of the governor of, of, of Florida doesn't seem to be following the science. And I just want to say it must really piss people off that you actually maintained your job. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> what does all this really mean? Mm-hmm. Let's bring in CNN chief business correspondent Christine Roman. So when it comes to higher prices, I mean, look, we can all attest to that. We've seen it in different areas. What does this report tell us? I mean, these are the numbers that really quantify the gut punch for American Mm. consumers, right? That gut punch that feels like it really peaked there in November. 6.8% is a big number. I mean, you're going all the way back to the 80s when, you know, Stevie Wonder and Ebony and Ivory was atop of the charts, right? We were wearing clogs and satin jackets. I mean, this is something we have not seen in modern times, numbers like this. And you look at a line chart of inflation and you can see this is the worst uh, in years and certainly uh, the most meaningful price inflation we've seen in, in, uh, in, in our recent memory. You strip out food and energy, um, and this growth rate is 4.9% year over year uh, and half a percentage point, half a percent um, just for the month from October to November. And it has been energy driving much of this. You've seen that. We've talked about gas prices. And those those prices have been moderating in the past few weeks, which is why some economists are saying they think this might be the worst. Um, you can see that uh, you had some really sharp core Core, uh, core rates earlier in the year, and that p- appears like it might be moderating a little bit here. We also know that the shortages, because of supply concerns, we're hearing from uh, CEOs and we're hearing from the White House, and we're hearing from supply chain managers that they're starting to see how those are going to work themselves out. But demand is strong. I mean, this is a sign.
sign of a really strong economy, guys. People are rushing out all at the same time to buy the stuff they want after we've been in a huge pandemic. President Biden recently passed his historic infrastructure bill that will benefit all Americans in many different ways. And his Build Back Better plan includes things like paid family leave, universal pre-K, and health care measures that will drop insulin prices from $1,000 a month to just 35 bucks. Okay. Yeah, it's all great. But apparently a post on, on Slate.com claims you wouldn't know it because Americans aren't tuning in. So I guess the, the question is, why don't people want to hear the good news for a change? Or are we so addicted to people bashing that we don't recognize uh, uh, good things that are meant to help us unless they're couched in a package that isn't hysterical, like, oh my God, is he gonna blow up the world? You know, is that what we need to, to hear when something good is happening here? I hate to be a curmudgeon. No, you don't. <laughs> she can't help You know, herself. and I, I can't help that. Um, I, you know, I, I think, he, of course, he's doing great things. I don't think he's been in office a very long time. Um, nine and months. I think it's been nine months. I think, of course, um, there's a stark comparison between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought, you know, Donald Trump, he, he did such terrible things, not only to um, the, the policies in our country, but also just to the moral fabric of our country. And I think oh, yeah. he brought the worst out in us. But, you know, he, he did, he mm -hmm. did. Um, and, I, and I think Joe Biden really has, in some respects, restored the soul of our nation, and that was his task. Um, but his messaging for, for at least a lot of voters, especially I think the black community was, I'm going to, um, you know, passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, right? I'm going to work on um, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I'm going to work on immigration reform. Those were um, his, I think, the bedrocks of his campaign. And he has been woefully deficient in meeting those campaign promises. Well, and he still has three more just, years to go. He but, has three but, more years, but does he really? But because if the Republicans it, come around in 2022, he's not getting anything. Well, but here's, the, but here's the question. So in having all these things he said he would do and then getting in and realizing that he's got to get shots in arms he's got to mm -hmm. fix the gas situation yeah. mm -hmm. he's got to figure out what to do with the board he's got a lot on his plate and he's been in nine months and i and i and i just want to finish for me mm -hmm. you know i'm on like i did with you know who i want to wait and see what he does okay. but the first nine months for me? But she's right, though. He only has know? another year, really. And he played to the moderate Democrats because he, but those aren't the folks so that it, brought but if he to didn't this do, But if he doesn't, do, so, so let's so, go at it from here. Say he doesn't do anything else. He just mm -hmm. does what, he, what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. What happens to everything else that he's put together for the greater picture of the U.S.? Well, we don't, we don't, you know, you said something interesting there. You said, you know, that people are not picking up on the good stuff. I believe that that's because the media is not portraying him as a winner. So, for example, for example, I have an example of that. So when the, jo the, the jobs reports came out, came mm -hmm. out last week, yeah. mm -hmm. and NPR, when, when, when they were both over 200,000 uh, people, when, uh, when, when Trump was in and when Biden is in, mm -hmm. both over 200,000 new jobs. Mm -hmm. There was a discrepancy, but approximately. Mm -hmm. so, so NPR, when Trump did it, 
This is the headline they ran. November jobs report is a, no, this is for, for, for Biden. I'm sorry, I'm somewhat inarticulate right now. The jobs came out last week. NPR ran this headline. November jobs report is a bust, okay? In 2019, during, prior to the pandemic, mm -hmm. during Trump, they ran job market surges as employers add so many jobs in November. Mm -hmm. They are minimizing what he is doing. Point number two, I don't care if the president has charisma. He does not. Joe Biden doesn't have it. John Kennedy had it. Ronald Reagan had it. Clinton. Biden does. Clinton Obama had, it. had it. Obama yeah, had it. Obama. Biden yeah. does not have that. He's a good manager, though. Mm -hmm. He manages the country. When I, any money that I have, if I want to give it to Merrill Lynch or whatever, one of those houses, I don't care that my money manager has charisma. Just make some money for me, damn it. I, okay, I have to say and this. And that's the same idea I that for the president for me. And that goes for surgeons I, and dentists. I have to say that it is easy to be a leader when things are going well. And it is very difficult to be a leader, leader when the crap hits the fan. But the reality is, with all of the promises that were made and were not kept, with what was happening, what's happening at the border with immigrants, Afghanistan, all of the things that he are happening, and then also, wait a minute, and then also inflation going up, food prices, gas prices, all of those things, the American people, the messaging is not getting to the American people. This is how I'm going to relieve you. This is how things are going to work. Wait till they this get is how those I'm checks. going to help. That this is not just out. my opinion, right? Because you've got, a, it's, out of 70 Americans that rate the um, economy, 39% are uh, believe that the president is handling it incorrectly. 34% believe these are, these are, <laughs> they're Americans. They're Americans. Americans that are. Thinking, I just told you they're getting the message. Are you trying to get in? Yeah, Hold on, she's trying well, to get in. I was just going to chime in. I, I kind of, I see what you're saying yeah. here in this sense that I will prefer anything over Donald Trump, yes. and I'm a Biden fan. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like. I, I voted for President Biden, and as a as, as a person who I've met, I, I really like him. I really do. I think he came in inheriting so many problems that aren't great. But I agree with what you're saying. I see why these numbers are falling. People that are dialed in and know these issues and talk about them every day are can understand where the Mitch McConnell's are at fault and where the Senate isn't passing things. Sadly, though, it's the buck stops here. It's like what President well, Truman yes. said. And and yeah. I still believe he can change things. I, I do believe it's been a short run, but I do see why these numbers are hurting. People can't buy gas. Because they can't they put said, food on their table. Us you were going to do something yeah. and we're going to hold you to it you know what? you wanted yeah. the job. Yeah. Yes. I believe, maybe I'm naive, but I believe when, I'm American, down, when the chip... I, I think she's I right. I believe when the chips are down, Americans are going to understand that if Republicans take control of this country again, we are are done as a country. We are done. Now, believe it. I know this is probably not something. I see what you're doing, but I'm going to say we're going to come back and talk more about this. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Got I got energy. stuff to oh, say. Okay. I, you know, we we having a conversation. And I want in on this one. We'll be back. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Dana Milbank. Here's his column for the Post this weekend, getting lots of buzz from liberals on Twitter. He says journalists are contributing to the murder of democracy. And he says he has data gathered by an artificial intelligence uh, machine to show that the press has turned more negative against Biden than the press was against Trump at this time in Trump's first year. What do you think about that? Is that possible? Does it ring true to you? Do you think uh, the Biden team is right to be out there griping, airing grievances about the press right now? 
Oh, sure. And I think it's long overdue. And I think it's important. You know, these are not insulting tweets. They're not denigrating tweets. They're not suggesting, you know, this is the the, you know, the press is the enemy of the people or anything. They're saying you're missing a big story and you've been missing it for several months. And I think it's absolutely right uh, for them to uh, ask the press to for a little self-reflection and a little accountability. And the Dana Milbank's column, I think, is incredibly important. And I, and I think it's very convincing that Biden actually is getting worse coverage now than Trump. Look, you know, if and if Trump were a traditional Republican president, if he had been a Jeb Bush president, that would be okay. Look, you know, Trump got bad coverage, Biden gets bad coverage, everyone gets bad coverage. Trump was a fascist. He was a pathological liar. He's trying to destroy free and fair elections in this country, and the idea that this conventional center-left Democrat is getting worse coverage if I were in the press, I would stop and think, what are we doing here? And, and it, is, hmm. this, is this all accurate? Well, I'm definitely hearing uh, from White House aides that they're saying the same thing that they're saying on Twitter, which is that the press is piling yes. on, not paying enough attention to positive economic data points, but paying way too much attention to more negative economic data points. But can we can we agree, Eric, that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads if negativity bias is nothing yeah. new when it comes to <laughs> politics coverage or all news coverage. But the mm. press really here's the point. Take your thumb off the scales. Tell the story. Tell the economic story as it exists. Don't be so committed to a storyline that, 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 you know, Joe Biden is the new Jimmy Carter. This is the key thing. And I always go back to this because they believe they can spin this stuff. So Milbank does his article and he says they're being too hard. So all the media does stuff like this. I'm not going to put all these slides up because you're seeing it. I would be insulting my audience. Grandparents can relate to how President Biden says he caught his cold. Sorry, I got to turn the heat on. It's freaking like 20 degrees outside. I'm in the basement. I don't want to start a fire because it's going to be 50s. That's the USA Today. CNN. Why the Donald Trump West Point ramp story actually matters. White House says Biden is 100% fine after he tripped off boarding Air Force One. Opinion. The media treats Biden as badly or worse than Trump. Here's proof. Pictures of ice cream. All the covers with Trump being bad, Biden being good. Ice cream. White House reporters start singing happy birthday to Jen Psaki. Find this hilarious why. Negative headlines may just be Biden is doing a bad job, not the media's biased. Facts matter. Who, were, who, who here thinks things are going as well as they were in 2017? They, they went with it. Ron Klein, Klein Watch, submitted for your consideration. Opinion, the media treats Biden as badly as or worse than Trump. Submitted for your consideration. The media treats Biden as badly as or worse than Trump. Here's proof, Margaret Sullivan. It's not just Milbank opinion. He's got the numbers. I don't even know how to address this. It is he sends people to the news. Axios literally runs this next. Uh, where where the hell is it? Oh, here it is. White House holding briefings with the media is not new or scandalous. Instantly, Dan Abrams' fucking site goes out and makes... Oh, my God. 
This isn't new. This is normal. This is totally normal. There's nothing wrong with them pressuring the news just to do whatever you want. Margaret Sullivan. Laura Logan, Anthony Fauci hitting new lows on Fox News. My new column on it. Your paper a neat year ago by Stephen L. Miller. It's not wrong to compare Trump's America to the Holocaust. Here's why. That's what we ran for three years. Asha Rapunga knows GOP reps would totes freak over a black or brown family carrying guns because Massey sent out a picture with guns and the media lost their shit. David Brooke tears into modern conservatism. I, if you want to hear a good breakdown of this, I'm not going to do it. Listen to uh, Ben Shapiro. They've See, the problem is, it, it goes back to what I said before. If you tell everybody's evil and your other opponents are all fucking Nazis, you tend to believe it. If you believe the earth is going to end in eight years because you've been saying it so often, well... You start to believe it, and so your children, and everybody starts believing it. If you believe there's only two genders, and you say it enough, you start to believe that men have babies. I mean, all this stuff is programming, and they repeat it, and they repeat it, and they repeat it. That's why every election you hear, most qualified, the best ever, these people are great, that person's bad. It's the re repetition. If they repeat it enough, you will believe that the other person, the subject, it all becomes true. That's what these people are like. They really, truly believe that if you don't get your fourth fucking vaccine, you're a bad American. There's a picture floating around with a guy wearing a fucking shower camp, rubber gloves, I love Falky shirt and four fucking masks. He's in an airport. It's a real picture. It's it's not made up. It's a real picture. So they're in their own cocoon of stupid. And all they can think is those people are evil and things really aren't that bad and we're really not biased. Because Trump was a mean tweeter. Oliver Darcy, some news and reliable sources, senior White House and admin officials have been holding briefings in major news groups over the past week, and they try to reshape economic co coverage. Today, Jim Cramer outright did it, and I don't think I played it, but I'm going to play it now. Right, first of all, to me, we have the strongest economy perhaps I have ever seen. See that number this morning, the unemployment number? It's the best in years, not best in 69. We have all spotted the endless help wanted signs, the housing and apartment shortages, the tremendous demand for goods and services, a marvel to behold. Oh, people are confident about their jobs. I say fantastic. And the ability to even get better ones if they want to. They're spending more than I've ever seen, but they're doing it with cash, not on credit. They're doing so in a Roaring Twenties style. What fucking planet is he talking about? What fucking planet is he talking about? Everything is more expensive. Every single thing. And then you have... I'm playing it as a lighter fare. Jennifer Rubin. Trump has handpicked candidates and most elected ours spread the big lie of convinced a large majority of ours the election was stolen. This is undemocratic, immoral, and un-American. In America, we lose gracefully and transfer power.
She wrote this in the Washington Post at the same time this happened. In this lesson, I'm going to face one of my most public defeats head on by sharing with you the speech I had hoped to deliver if I had won the 2016 election. So this was supposed to be the victory speech that I would have delivered on election night in New York on November the 8th of 2016. I've never shared this with anybody. I've never read it out loud, but it helps to encapsulate who I am, what I believe in, and what my hopes were for um, the kind of country that I want for my grandchildren and that I want for the world that I believe in is America at its best. My fellow Americans, today you sent a message to the whole world. Our values endure, our democracy stands strong, and our motto remains, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. We will not be defined only by our differences. We will not be an us versus them country. The American dream is big enough for everyone. Through a long, hard campaign, we were challenged to choose between two very different visions for America, how we grow together, how we live together, and how we face a world full of peril and promise together. Fundamentally, this election challenged us to decide what it means to be an American in the 21st century. And by reaching for unity, decency, and what President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature, we met that challenge. Today, with your children on your shoulders, neighbors at your side, friends old and new standing as one, you renewed our democracy. And because of the honor you have given me, you changed its face forever. I've met women who were born before women had the right to vote. They've been waiting a hundred years for tonight. I've met little boys and girls who didn't understand why a woman has never been president before. Now they know, and the world knows, that in America, every boy and every girl can grow up to be whatever they dream, even President of the United States. This is a victory for all Americans, men and women, boys and girls, because as our country has proven once again, when there are no ceilings, the sky's the limit. This summer, a writer asked me if I could go back in time and tell anyone in history about this milestone who would it be? And the answer was easy. My mother, Dorothy. You may have heard me talk about her difficult childhood. She was abandoned by her parents when she was just eight years old. 
They put her on a train to California where she was mistreated by her grandparents and ended up out on her own working as a housemaid. Yet she still found a way to offer me the boundless love and support she never received herself. She taught me the words of our Methodist faith, do all the good you can for all the people you can in all the ways you can as long as ever you can. I think about my mother every day. Sometimes I think about her on that train. I wish I could walk down the aisle. I wish I could walk down the aisle and find the little wooden seats where she sat holding tight to her even younger sister, alone, terrified. She doesn't yet know how much she will suffer. She doesn't yet know she will find the strength to escape that suffering. That is still a long way off. The whole future is still unknown. And she stares out at the vast country moving past her, I dream of going up to her and sitting down next to her, taking her in my arms and saying, look at me, listen to me. You will survive. You will have a good family of your own and three children. And as hard as it might be to imagine, your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. I am as sure of this as anything I have ever known. America is the greatest country in the world. And from tonight going forward, together, we will make America even greater than it has ever been for each and every one of us. Thank you. God bless you. And may God bless America. Next week, we have a new Sunday sit-down with former First Lady, United States Senator, Secretary of State, and Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, sharing her thoughts on the state of the country and an exclusive emotional reading for the first time of her would-be election night victory speech from 2016. And talking about her upcoming masterclass, Clinton shares the would-have-been victory speech she wrote leading up to the election and the election night in 2016. I think the moment that is going to stick out to most people in this masterclass is an extraordinary one mm. where you sit down and you read what you call the would-be victory speech. Mm -hmm. My fellow Americans, today you sent a message to the whole world. What compelled you to sit down and revisit that speech? I worked on um, a speech that really was about my journey and had a, had a real emphasis on my mother's life and journey as a way of you know making it clear that yes, I would be the first woman president, but I, I like everybody, uh, stood on the shoulders and lived the lives uh, and the experiences of those who came before us. Your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. Mm. Mm. Now that is powerful. It's been five years. 
five fucking years and they're still talking to Hillary. Nobody's ever been brought back to read their acceptance speech. Nobody's ever spread more lies and deceit and bullshit than Hillary Clinton. For Christ's sake, we now know she paid for this shit. She pushed this shit. It's all her. She lied. Because she saw the internal polls and they weren't going the way they were supposed to be going. But yeah, Trump. Trump's bad. CBO report shows Build Back Better would cost like $6 trillion, folks. They're lying. David Ignatius. Opinion by David Ignatius. Putin barrels towards invading Ukraine, encouraged by Trump. So now we're going to have a Russian incursion like we did under Obama with red lines. And it's going to happen under Biden, and it's Trump's fault. IRS data proves Trump tax cuts benefited middle class like we all knew and we all have, but they said that wasn't true. Biden admin is telling Ukraine to give up land. Give up land, just a little bit. But this week in our media, my little library got whited, was was big. Uh, a guide to muffing, the hidden way to finger trans women. That was an article. Portland poised to launch 1.3 million pot shop assistance program. Apple signed a secret $275 billion deal with China in 2016 to help its economy avoid regulations. Alcinder is moving to NBC, Miss China Flu. Yeah, that, that's, that was all more important. CNN staffer charged with enticing women and their underage daughters... And fucking them. Yeah, there's pictures with him with Cuomo. Washington Post. Snow may vanish in the Mountain West with climate warm study. A new study provides a glimpse in the future of western U.S. snows and mountains far more from rosy. In about 35 to 60 years, the Mountain West could be nearly snowless for years at a time of greenhouse gas emissions, climate, blah, blah, blah. Climate bedwetting change. 2000. By 2020, children won't know what snow is. 2021. Between 2056 and 2081, you won't know what snow is. Yeah, that's the article. Restaurants in San Francisco refusing to serve cops. My five-year-old saw blackface in 1942 Christmas music. Why are they doing that? It's Holiday Inn. USA Today. In an effort to promote equity and access for kids of color, girls, and low-income students, many math teachers are shifting towards inclusive instruction. It's controversial because it's not about math. And then the I was going to put it up, but I'm not going to. WAPO, warning of electric car racism. So you want us all to have electric cars, 
but you're a racist if you do. Hmm. Okay. So, I don't have a bumper for this, but here's the Cuomo shit. Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo, we should point out, has now been terminated here at CNN. That's the latest breaking news uh, about what's happening here at CNN. I want to go to CNN's Brian Stelter. Uh, Brian, uh, obviously, this uh, this is huge news, Uh, not only inside CNN, but for this industry. What can you tell us? Yes, Chris Cuomo, one of the most popular anchors at CNN, one of the best-known names in television news, violated journalistic ethics and norms not once or twice, but many times. And that's ultimately uh, what is the the result of today's news, Jim. As you mentioned, Cuomo just uh, terminated by CNN this afternoon. And here's the statement from management explaining the decision, saying Chris Cuomo was suspended earlier this week pending further evaluation of new information that came to light about his involvement with his brother's defense. We retained a respected law firm to conduct the review and have terminated him effective immediately. While in the process of that review, additional information has come to light. Despite the termination, we will investigate as appropriate. So this is a big surprise for a lot of people. Uh, Jim, I didn't expect to be on with you this evening talking about this breaking news, but we did know that Cuomo had been suspended, not just, you know, for a week, not in the kind of way that's a a fake suspension to take pressure off CNN. This was a real suspension. He was put on the bench indefinitely while management conducted a review. What we didn't know until tonight, Jim, is that an outside law firm also came in and that the law firm went through the thousands of pages of text messages and sworn testimony that was released back on Monday. So there was clearly something in those documents uh, that was found to be a serious breach of standards and practices. Uh, Of course, it was known months ago that Chris Cuomo was helping his brother, talking to his brother, while his brother was trying to hold on to the governorship and defending himself amid sexual harassment allegations. What we learned this week in those text messages and in that sworn testimony was that he basically was acting like a staffer. He was like an unpaid staffer for the governor, and he was doing that at the same time he was working for CNN. Now, there is one part of the statement, Jim, that we don't know anything about. Uh, just to be completely transparent with the audience, it says there's additional information that right. also came to light sometime this week. Uh, we don't know what that is. I've, I've asked. There's no answers coming on what that could be. What we do know is that Cuomo was terminated earlier today. Uh, we know in the past, I, I have reached out to Chris, asked him for comments and have not heard back yet. Uh, we know in the past he has said he always put family first. And he said he was sorry to put his CNN colleagues in a difficult situation. Uh, now that difficult situation will not exist because Chris Cuomo has been terminated. And Brian, do we know when this new information uh, might be brought uh, out, out to the public and, and will have a sense as to what this additional information was? And I don't know, actually, if it ever will. I think that's very much unclear. You know, certainly in the years I've spent covering media, we know that companies try to keep these things as private as possible. But this is playing out on a very public stage because of Chris Cuomo's prominence and because of his relationship with his brother. I think this may be a situation, Jim, just drawing on my years as a media reporter, I think this may be a situation uh, where it was uh, death by a thousand cuts, where there were just so many headaches time and time again involving Chris Cuomo, that even though many viewers loved watching Cuomo Cuomo primetime and looked forward to his show, he was causing so many headaches for the network and for CNN staffers uh, that ultimately this decision was reached. 
that's just drawing on my background, you know, covering other stories like this. Uh, I do think, you know, this is a moment where uh, journalistic ethics are at play. Uh, and I know there were many CNN staffers very unhappy with the situation, very frustrated by Chris Cuomo. At the same time, Jim, I was hearing from some fans of Chris, uh, some viewers who said, we understood he was looking out for his family. This was always a very complicated situation, but I think the text messages and the documents this week showing that he was very deeply involved, very cozy with the governor's office, very improperly working with the aides, uh, that was ultimately why this decision was announced tonight. All right, Brian Seltzer, uh, thanks so much for that late-breaking information. Uh, just, just coming into CNN in the last several minutes, Chris Cuomo, anchor here at CNN, has been terminated from CNN, effective immediately. Uh, that announcement made by Jeff Zucker, uh, the head of CNN, uh, and we just learned this in the last several minutes. Brian Stelter, our chief media correspondent, breaking it down for us. Uh, Brian, uh, thanks so much. What are the biggest unknown questions that you have this morning? Yeah, Brian, like you, I want to know what's actually in that complaint. And I do think we're going to get more reporting about that as it comes along. I also want to know why CNN delayed taking action. They said in their statement that they had taken action finally, you know, once the allegation had come through, but they had cause already. So if you already had cause, why didn't they immediately fire him then? I also want to know about this pending investigation. They say they're going to continue to investigate this matter further. Well, right. what does that mean? Are they going to commit to making the revelations from that investigation open to the public? Are we going to learn more about CNN, about their culture, about this exact situation? You know, and then finally, what precedent does this set for the news media? So many people in news have personal connections to people in power. Does this change the way that we think about how reporters and correspondents and anchors deal with those personal situations? I assume it will, but we will only see as time goes on. It's a great point. So there's such a, uh, you know, a complicated case here where you have this uh, apparently a, a ABC, a former ABC staffer, someone who worked with Cuomo at ABC, making this allegation. Then you have all these producers who currently work for Cuomo singing his praises, and they are, uh, at least the people I've talked to, quite disappointed that Cuomo's been terminated. So a lot of tension in this. Let's go to David Zerwick next. Ultimately, this is about trust in media, as Sarah was referring to. Trust in media. Has CNN lost trust as a result of this, Zerwick? Well, I, you know, I don't know. That's hard to say if, if CNN has lost trust. I think this really, Brian, goes to the heart. And Sarah's right. These relationships are out there. People know about them. And it is one of the things that makes people uh, not wary. They don't trust the press because they think it's elites dealing with elites, taking care of elites. We say we're watchdogs, but we watch some people harder than we watch other people. There are friends, there are relationships. There are people trying to court favor with powerful people for information. Here's the problem. We've really lost sense of media ethics in our profession, especially in the last few years. You have to ask yourself first, and this is the mistake that Chris Cuomo made, and in some sense, I think CNN made this same mistake in not forcing him to ask this. Who do you work for? Who do you serve? Obviously, you serve and you work for your employer or you don't get a check, but beyond that, where, who are you talking to? You should be serving the public. That oftentimes puts you at odds with people in power. You have to sacrifice that. If somebody cuts you off for information, because they don't like the information you're giving the public, too bad. 
too many people in this business. And I think this is a little worse than it is. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I, it's not better in print than it is in TV. It's across the board for everybody now because we're all one big digital world. People don't ask that question. Cuomo, come on, he's a lawyer. He should know this. He should have asked himself that. And he wasn't. This, people say, look, he wasn't. He was taking care of his brother. He wasn't giving me information. I need, if you were a new resident in New York, he wasn't giving you information that would help you cast a vote more wisely in the next election or know whether to support the governor. No, he was mm. serving his brother. Now, that complicates it because of the brother. But, See, um, that's but the thing. That, that's Brian, the thing. You, I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime ethical dilemma that doesn't try to let off me about the hook, but... There's never going to be another moment like this where there's a, a brother, there's an anchorman of a governor in the middle of COVID, and you know one of them gets COVID. Like this was a once in a lifetime situation. That doesn't mean that everyone necessarily did the right things at the right time, but it was unique. Mara, let me just go to you on on this dynamic of okay. of who did what when. Sarah was saying that uh, CNN waited to act. The counterpoint is as soon as that law firm review came back, uh, Cuomo was fired within 24 hours. How do you see it, Mara? Yeah. So, you know, Brian, you call this a dilemma, and I think that's the perfect word for this, because I think a lot of people can understand Chris Cuomo's impulse to help his brother. So when the initial reports came out and it wasn't clear the extent to which he was involved, I think it was wise to wait and see and to get additional information. But what the documents that re were released earlier or last week rather showed was that Chris Cuomo did cross a really bright red line of journalistic ethics. This was not a gray area. It would be inappropriate for any employee of any news organization to provide media relations strategy advice to a sitting governor in the midst of a legal and a political crisis. This was a clear conflict of interest. So once those documents were released, I don't really think CNN had any choice at that point. The decision that they made, I'm sure, was not an easy one, but it was the right one journalistically. When you ask about the public's trust in the media, I actually think that a circumstance like this enforces the public's trust in the media because they did make the right call in such a clear-cut case here. And when it comes to the issue of sources, of coziness with sources, this whole situation highlights the tension that journalists have in managing these relationships because good relationships yield good information. But when they get too cozy and too close, that's when you can start to stray into this unethical te territory, and that's what we saw here. I played all that. I played all that. They got a man on there who juked off in front of people. But now they fire him. And the guy that they say, and, and I, once again, Seltzer's no different than any other fact checker. He's a biased hack. He's just a fucking hack. Just a fucking piece of shit hack. But they all are hacks. So for our This Is America today... We are going to play CNBC wrecking Stephanie Rule, and I'm only going to play one of the sound bites because she went on three times as fucking lying. And CNN, Biden doesn't have a plan to save democracy. And Stephanie joins me now live. Steph, it's great to see you. As you say, inflation's over six percent. Numbers we haven't seen in more than thirty years. So, how much higher can these prices go, and when do you see them coming down? 
Well, listen, Willie, nobody knows exactly when they're going down, but you have to put all this in perspective. This inflation is not in isolation, and the government predicted it was going to be a challenging recovery, recovery all tied to COVID. So it's why you see things like that expanded child tax credit. You've got the families of over 60 million kids on average getting $430 a month. For people on fixed incomes, older people on Social Security, they're getting those fixed payments adjusted next year up 5.9% for inflation. And the dirty little secret here, Willie, while nobody likes to pay more, on average, we have the money to do so. Household savings hit a record high over the pandemic. We didn't really have anywhere to go out and spend. And as we said a moment ago, we're expecting retail sales this holiday season to break records. For those who own their homes, the value of our homes are up. And while the stock market isn't the economy, you got over half of American households with some investment in the markets, and the markets have hit record highs. So we need to put all of this in perspective. This time last year, when you and I were talking, Willie, nobody had a vaccine. Now, 200 million Americans do, and we're seeing this push of demand, and that's pushing up prices. Hi there, I'm Stephanie Rule. It is Thursday, July 15th, a good day to check your accounts. Because for millions and millions of American families, there are some brand new money in the bank. I'm talking about the new expanded child tax credit payments from the government. Moms and dads getting hundreds, in some cases, thousands of dollars for their families. President Biden getting a great opportunity to show that his administration is providing real help to Americans who need it. But there is a lot more where that came from, potentially, as we speak. Democrats have packed 3.5 trillion with a T dollars worth of help into what would be the single biggest and most expensive bill ever passed through Congress if, and that's a big if, they can get it passed. I want to bring in some experts on all of this. NBC's Mike Memoli at the White House, Leanne Caldwell on Capitol Hill, and Politico's White House correspondent Eugene Daniels, co-author of the Politico Playbook. Leanne, let's start with you. This is the kind of spending bill that could break record records. It has the child tax credit. It has free pre-K. It has expanded Medicare benefits, clean energy. It is the Barbie dream house of improvements to the human condition. We all want to live in that Barbie dream house. But how are we? Uh, one would not fault the attendees for the Summit for Democracy to kind of peek over the president's shoulder and look at the fight for democracy in his own backyard. Maybe next time he wants to hold this summit in Atlanta. Because we know that uh, uh, David Perdue is saying that he wouldn't have certified the 2020 election. I mean, this is the running commentary of the president saying we need to spread democracy around the country. Instead, we've got problems here, too. Well, I don't think Biden was hiding from the problems here at all. You heard him just uh, point to two legislative efforts. The problem is, he says at the end of that, uh, and we're going to get it done, but there's been no movement to actually get uh, those democracy protection efforts legislatively done. Uh, that not, not with the 60-vote threshold in place, not with uh, senators like Manchin and others opposed to any kind of filibuster reform. So Joe Biden's out there touting the importance of having to protect democracy here at home, but without a real path uh, to how to go about doing that. Yeah, Mara, I mean, therein lies the rub, which is he's put so much sweat equity into the better plan and into infrastructure. None of that matters if we lose our democracy to autocracy. None of it matters. But I'm not sure what else the president, I mean, clearly people are calling for him to put as much energy into things like, as he just talked about, the Freedom to Vote Act. Um, but can he change the filibuster and do all that?
Yeah, well, that's the problem, and that's the problem with the optics of what's happening right now, because he is now going on a global stage as presenting the United States as kind of the self-appointed voice for democracy. When you hear this valid criticism, people are saying, you can't even get voting rights legislation passed, and your party is in control of Congress. So there's a real optics problem there. There's also the issue of people saying, how can you be the leader for democracy less than a year after an attempt to overthrow the government? So the problem is, on the global stage, they presented themselves as these leaders, and also they are the ones who put together the list. So you have countries like China and Russia saying, wait a minute, who made you the arbiters to decide um, what is it, what, who is uh, eligible to come sit at this table? And there are so many issues that are taking place at home. So that is the that is the rub that he's up against right now. But you certainly understand why you would want to have this kind of democracy pep rally at this time. I think the Biden administration would argue that you want to reaffirm these. He asked them to spin. So they spin. And then they write articles like this from Ask Axios. Right wing builds its own echo chamber. The Daily Wire, Me, Me, whatever, Blaze, Parker, Newsmax, Own, Cloud Hub, Rumble. And they say they're using crypto. And once again, what's the implication? Well, you're hearing the facts over there, but they're not facts because those are evil people and evil people lie. They're all a bunch of liars. We're still telling you the truth. Don't think about the gas prices. Don't think about the fact that every fucking item you buy is about a dollar more. My wife is such a penny miser. She hasn't been buying things like a creamer because it went up a dollar fifty, and I said it's just a dollar fifty, babe. But she's the shopper. She's the one doing the shopping now, and it's freaking her the fuck out. Don't don't mind that. Listen to us. And then you have articles like this: California unveils the plan. To become an abortion sanctuary of the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. The proposal would include paying for travel, lodging, and procedures for people from other states who want to have abortions. And did I just not say that in the last show? We're talking about people that don't follow the law. When you had illegal immigration and Trump curbed it, they went to sanctuary states. And for abortion now, we're going to pay, taxpayers are going to pay for travel, food, and lodgings so people from other states can come get abortions. That's what they're going with. But yeah, they're serious people. We need to listen to them. They're serious people who come up with everything, including electric cars are fucking racist. And abortion is more important than putting food on the table or security or that Russia is going to take the fuck over another country under a democratic fucking goddamn administration. But that's Trump's fault. They're just repeating lies, and they won't stop repeating lies. And it's goddamn frustrating. 
unbeknownst to this group, the place where I work was broke into. I walked in one morning and there was smoke in the room. The cash wrap was destroyed. Instead of being a smart human being, I cleared the building. Now, you can't have guns where I work. So I didn't have a gun, but my backpack did. And I walked around, and when I came around the corner and it cleared the fitting rooms and ensured the back room wasn't trash, seeing coins and merchandise and a bag that he tried to stuff everything. We have paper bags instead of plastic bags, and they're it ripped. I get to the corner. He had dug through the wall. Unfortunately, we have fixtures that are made out of plywood on that wall, and he had to hack through it with a fucking hammer. He then tripped an alarm, and of course the police came. They didn't see him because he had gone through and built a blind on the other wall of the vacant space next to us that the cops never checked, and he hid there. And all the merchandise kind of rolled around, got fell out of the bag, and we recovered most of it, and he took just a few things and ruined a bunch of pants. It hit me. It's hitting everybody. Every fucking town. Because people are getting desperate. And it's coupled with you won't get in trouble for it. So when you're desperate because everything's expensive, including your crack and meth and everything else you're doing, you'll do whatever the fuck you need to do to get things done because guess what? You're not going to go to jail for it. You're not going to get in trouble for it. Nothing's going to happen. You're good to go. They've made it good to go. They've made no consequences. And it's by design. If there's no consequences, there's no accountability, and everything's fucking free, you don't think about family and country and integrity and loyalty or any of those things. You just think about yourself. And that is progressivism. Me. You always hear in the media, it's always those rich conservatives and all those fucking companies and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm a conservative independent and I, I'm not getting any money from fucking company. I don't I don't have any fucking investments and I, I, I suffered a buyout and it ruined my life because I had a really good career and I was happy with good people and now I work for a company to give a shit whether I live, die, or grow mushrooms in my crack. Actually, two companies. Three! Because I did the dirt cheap shit was a DM for them, and then I ran a community center. They didn't give a fuck about me, and the current company I work for now doesn't give a flying fuck to me. They don't care. So you're right, companies are evil. But they're evil because they're trying to make money. And we all know that. We're all fucking adults, and we understand. Companies are going to do whatever they can to make profit for shareholders or whatever the fuck they're doing. That's what they do. But we need them because that's who fucking pays me. If you owned your own company, do you think any of these liberals and own fucking companies don't rat fuck their own employees and treat people like shit? Get the fuck out of here, Chuck. Of course they do. 
Pressler was talking about passing rules so people couldn't be evicted while she was still collecting rent during a time you weren't supposed to collect rent. None of these people are fucking real, authentic. They're garbage humans. All of them. Garbage. But all this, as they spin it and say there's no crime, say there's no inflation, say there's no no reason to worry about it, and run after stupid shit like abortion and fucking electric cars are racist. Get the fuck out of here! Those aren't serious people. None of these people should be in charge of shit. And every person, from the Soviet lady to the race baiter, who literally they made a fucking uh, federal attorney. None of these people can do their job. Transportation secretary taking two months off because he adopted a baby. Get the fuck out of here. None of these people are serious. And I didn't like Trump, but he was serious. He went to fucking work. He didn't take a fucking dime for what he was doing. And you can't tell me, I don't care how liberal you are, I don't care how evil he was and orange and his fake hair and he's a piece of shit and he's a baboon. He is. The world didn't fuck with us. Russia didn't play fuck, fuck, goose. China didn't play fuck, fuck, goose. We didn't have hacks on our infrastructure. We sure the fuck didn't have inflation like we did now. The job market was really good. These people haven't replaced the job market. They haven't grown the economy. These are just people going back to work from fucking COVID. We all know that, but they think the Chuck Todd's were all stupid and we can't figure out. No, everybody lost their job and now they're getting a job back. Maybe their same job and they're going back to work. But you've thrown so much freebies at motherfuckers. Of course the economy's fucked up. We all took basic economy, Chuck Todd. And understand there's too much money going out to two fruit goods because they're stuck on boats. We're not stupid. And we can see this is a clusterfuck. A complete clusterfuck. Within a month and a half, it turned into a clusterfuck. But you're telling us it's not. But we can see it. I have libtards that work with me. They carry guns. They're not stupid. They see the world as it is. Liberals want to see it as they think it's going to be and smear it with we're smarter and better and we're honest and spin the lies and believe the lies. But you can do that all day long. It doesn't put gas in people's tanks, food on the table, presents under a tree. It doesn't pay the bills because you keep fucking up and the bills are getting more expensive electricity cable phones everything streaming fees even your liberal push the black and gay shit on us netflix now has a 
Well, it's kind of HD, but we're really fucking you. Pay another six bucks. Did it to us last night because we signed back up for the wife. I got her one of them Amazon Fire TVs. They're not that good. But I couldn't buy her expensive TV for the bedroom because she's on the welfare because we have money, but she thinks we're on the welfare. So I got her that TV, and it's got all the apps so she can stay up late while I go to sleep because I like her being next to me when I go to sleep. And they, they have all the apps. There's no apps. Like, I have an LG. They don't, I'm going, I'm going on a segue, but the LG doesn't have all the apps. You know, it has most of the big ones, but there's a lot of shit you can't get on it. When we just now got, like, Tubi. Long story short, Amazon, it's a, a, it's a fucking computer. It's not really a TV. You have to actually tell it to go to HDMI 1. It, it starts as a computer, which is kind of cool. So I get her Netflix back, and boom, they're fucking trying to up it. Everybody's trying to up it because everything they're doing is expensive. The moment you let gas go up, basic economy 101, everything you consume is going to cost more because it costs more to get it there. And those profit margins to you seem like they're stupid, but every amount of that 40% or 50% they put on an item is how they pay their people and pay the room and pay their shareholders. They got to pay rent like everybody else. So you increase gas by $1.50. Guess what, motherfuckers? You increase labor costs and raise the minimum wage. Guess what, motherfuckers? You're walking into shit now and they want you to use kiosks. There's a reason motherfuckers lost their job. Thanks to Democrats, and they're, everybody deserves $20 an hour, a free house, and a pot to piss in. No, they don't. This is the freest, most fucking able to do what you want to do with the work and skills you have country on this planet. You do not have to be poor you just have to do hard work. But Democrats want to reverse that and say, do no work and we'll give you a basic income. For you lemmings out there, the word basic is attached to it. And basic doesn't get you your UHD Netflix. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please show us to family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com where you'll find links to every show. It is now the 12th. The next podcast will be the 19th. I'm working six days a week, and then I get a four-day weekend. So on that four-day weekend, like I said, we're going to do our Christmas show. Probably the morning of the 24th. I hope all of you are safe out there. If you know anybody that was affected by the storms, and even if you don't, pray for them. There are so many. There's over 100 people dead in Kentucky, Bowling Green, Mayfield, and Arkansas, there are a lot of sad people, and they're freezing right now because they don't have power. And even if they didn't get by the tornadoes, there's so many people out of power. It's just so sad. So say prayers or positive thoughts if that's your thing. And tune back in next Sunday for our next exciting episode. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay care.